Mike Seawright has got used to walking different streets from London's with even more sadness in them. We've talked to Mike a few times when he's been in Ukraine, often in dangerous situations, distributing aid. And this weekend marks, as we know it now, the second anniversary of that war. Mike is the Aucklander, we've mentioned this before, who was once an investment banker with a yacht. And the yacht sailed away, and Mike discovered a new purpose in life. He founded the New Zealand charity Relief Aid, run by hard-working volunteers on the ground here and a mixture of staff and volunteers in Afghanistan and then Syria, then Ukraine, and now Gaza. Relief Aid was set up originally to help families affected by the war in Syria. Kia ora, Mike. Where are you at the moment? Good morning, Jim. I'm in Canada at the moment, um, chasing uh, funding to support our operations in places like Gaza and Ukraine and Syria. What are you spending the money mainly on in Gaza? What's, what's the major cost? Well, one of the challenges of working in Gaza at the moment is getting anything across the border from Egypt or Israel. So we've made sure that we've been able to source everything that we need to operate inside Gaza. Um, otherwise, we'd quite literally be stopped and dead in our tracks. Um, if we were to rely on anything that was crossing from Egypt into Gaza at the moment. So it's water deliveries. In fact, we're supporting uh, tens of thousands of people each week with water. Yeah, you explained your modus operandi to us in Gaza last time we talked. Since that time, you lost two of your team just after we chatted to you, and they were unwitting casualties of Israeli bombs. And... Like the poet Yeats's Irish airmen, they foresaw their deaths in a way, didn't they? This is dangerous work for your team. Yeah, I must admit, um, it's one of the uh, terrible things having to do this work, uh, waking up in the morning and finding out that, in fact, three of our staff had been killed. Uh, They were in their homes, bombed. Every day they were going out to work, they were saying goodbye to their families, um, what they thought possibly for the last time. Um, Little did they know that they would be killed uh, sleeping. I have to say, what's one of the most amazing things of this work, however, you see the absolute worst that humanity has to offer. But the rest of our team quite literally dusted themselves off the next day and went back to work delivering water. Um, And at that time, we were also making meals for families who'd been displaced. So this is incredible. I mean, can you imagine losing three of your best mates and then picking yourself up the next day and going back to work because you felt you needed to serve your community? Mm. It's uh, inspiring, I have to say. Your team sent me a photo of a small girl, a little girl in Gaza, walking up to the cab of one of your relief (laughs) trucks. And doing what, please? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a... Lovely story, actually. Um, Our teams work hard and they work long. Um, They work seven days a week. They're often working 14, 15-hour days to get water out to these communities that have none. And uh, this little girl, and you may have heard that uh, food is pretty limited in Gaza at the moment, Um, so you would say that most people are keen to keep hold of what little they have. But this little girl came up to one of our truck drivers and said, "Uh, hey, mate, I mean, clearly not quite like that, but offered him a uh, biscuit and said, are you hungry? Because I'd like to share my biscuit with you. Mm. It's moments like this uh, that really 
uh, count for gold for our team, validate what they're doing and frankly help them get through the days um, because not only are they having to deal with the work situation, but their families are in exactly the same situation as this little girl, and that is, you know, no home, um, no roof over them. They're living in tents, um, struggling themselves to find water and food. And a little girl holds out a biscuit. So it's it's like, you know, seeing the one candle lit in the darkness, isn't it, in a way? So y- your, your team are now in Rafa, uh, the large, the last refuge for one and a half million people. What's what's your mission right now? Just just water, basically. Uh, we're doing water delivery, so we're going out visiting two to three camps a day. So we've been lucky enough to get some support from uh, Kiwis in New Zealand who have seen the situation in Gaza and reached into their pockets and and done fundraising events for us. But frankly, the needs are massive, and we need to do more. So this is one of the reasons I'm over in Canada is to try and drum up some support, additional support, so we can keep those trucks rolling. Gaza isn't the only place you're working with an enormous issue. Uh, let's ask about Ukraine, can we? I got sent figures. 40% of the population need humanitarian aid. Uh, almost a quarter are currently being directly targeted by the war. 1.4 million homes damaged or, or destroyed. 1,129 health facilities attacked. You've described what being in Ukraine and delivering aid is like to us before when you've been there. How many people do you think you've been able to help? We're we're lucky. We've got a pretty dedicated team and a whole raft of volunteers in Ukraine who continue to support uh, our operations here, our aid deliveries. Um, To date, we've we've delivered aid to over 50,000 people in Ukraine. Um, This is thanks to the generous support of New Zealanders and uh, other supporters around the world, but also to a whole cadre of people, be it government officials, um, local leaders, uh, volunteers and our team who quite literally put themselves in harm's way to deliver this aid. We're working in frontline areas and these places are dangerous. And while Ukraine isn't in the news as much as it was, I can assure you, having been up there just before Christmas, um, the missiles are continuing to fire and people are continuing to get hurt along with their homes damaged. It's still a terrible situation in Ukraine. And we know about the usual food, shelter and medicine requirements, which is substantial. You're also helping rebuild those more than a million homes, aren't you? Yeah, I was uh, in this last trip. I went up to uh, Kharkiv, which is up close to the Russian border, and we were supporting a couple of villages uh, even closer. In fact, one of them's around six or seven kilometres from the Russian border, a very uh, insecure place. This village itself uh, had somewhere in the order of 2,200 homes in the village, and 1,700 of these homes, or around 80%, just under 80%, had been damaged or destroyed by fighting. And we see this picture across Ukraine in all the frontline areas, and the front line is a 1,000 kilometres long, over a 1,000 kilometres long. So the scale of destruction on homes across Ukraine and, the, and families are returning to them. They're being, they have no other choice. They have nowhere else to go now. Um, the scale of destruction is massive. I know they're a long way from being able to do that up near the Russian... Uh, front, as it were, up near the border. But the suburb of Bucha in Kiev 
which you went into, mm-hmm. I remember, and which was a site of infamy earlier in the war, its recovery actually has been astonishing in places. The human spirit's remarkable in its, in its resilience as well. Yeah, this is the incredible thing with Ukrainians. Um, we've seen this from the beginning of the war right through to now. Um, if you'd look at at least the people that I see, and again, these would be closer to the front line than the likes of Butcher is very close to Kiev. Um, they they believe there's real trouble ahead, and yet they have not given up hope. They have not given up the desire to have a free country, as they would say it, see it, sorry, and they have continued to rebuild in the face of massive adversity. These are people that are living in places that have had and do have no water, no power, and no heating. And when you're up there in the middle of winter, as I'm seeing in the North North America right now, I mean, the temperatures are um, sub-zero. It's freezing, minus 10 at night. While Butcher may be uh, getting back on its feet, many of these frontline regions are not. Yeah. In fact, they are seeing little or no support. We read, depending on what you read, that Ukraine is exhausted despite that resilience. There are a few new volunteers. Perhaps 200,000 Ukrainian soldiers have died. Losses underreported and so on. How would you assess the prevailing mood? I know you haven't been there for a, a month or two, but you've been there often enough. People are very worried uh, about going to the front line now, Jim. Uh, I've got, uh, just two days ago, uh, the father-in-law of one of our staff was killed in action. Everyone that I know has had at least uh, one, if not multiple, family members or friends killed in action. Uh, People are worried. They want a free country, but they're also worried about turning up on that front line and, and not surviving. And it's become a very real uh, problem for Ukraine, and that is getting soldiers uh, on the front line, replacing those that are injured and damaged. Mm. And compassion fatigue means we don't hear as much about this now as we once did. It's, um, I suppose it's dispiriting in a sense to people like you and your line of work how quickly the world can move on. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's a good point, Jim. And unfortunately, you know, Gaza deserves all the support that it's getting now. Uh, it's a terrible situation. But unfortunately, this often comes at the cost of other conflicts, of other humanitarian crises around the world. And we see firsthand that when Ukraine started, less funding went to Syria. When Gaza started, less funding is available for Ukraine, less public interest in Ukraine. And as a result, it gets harder and harder for humanitarian organisations like Relief Aid to find the funding necessary to um, to generate the uh, logistics, the practical support that's needed on the ground. Well, there's no lack of uh, interest or commitment and also a, a lot of bravery on the part of your teams, uh, Mike. Good luck in Canada and thank you for being able to join us again this morning. Thanks a lot, Jim. Uh, Great to talk again.